Super cool. Kia ora. Good to see you all. Kia ora, podcast people. Kia ora, video people who can see me. How you doing? You looking fine? Uh, good on you. I always think to say good on you, podcast and video people, for investing in your relationship with Jesus, right? Something's happening today. You're sick. You've got sick kids. Whatever's going on in your crazy world, working. Um, so I always think good on you for um, finding time, making time during the week to connect with Jesus and plug into this. So good on you. All righty. Hey, so we're in Jonah. Um, Jonah chapter 1, and Jonah's a real interesting book, so a lot of debate in a lot of Christian circles on whether Jonah is a true story, or whether it's purely allegory, it's symbolic, is it real? Um, Joseph and I went, when we were living in Chicago, we went to a, a church that was a bit more on the liberal end, and the pastor preached this awesome sermon, but the whole thing was that Jonah was pure allegory, it never happened, there never was a Jonah, it was never, whatever, so... So one of the questions I want to look at is, is it a real, is Jonah a real person? Is this a real story? Can we trust this? Or is it just pure allegory? What's going on? So we're going to think about that. So when a lot of people think of the book of Jonah, a lot of people think of this. <laughs> no? I thought that was a funny picture. They're like, oh, it's just a funny story. You know this. Are you with me? Man, I thought that'd be a bit more laughing, but I don't know. Um, so a lot of people think this when they think of Jonah. They're like, oh, it's just a great story. Ha, ha, ha. It's a myth. It's an allegory. Blah, blah, blah. But um, it's not. It's real true. Okay, so let's look at some proof. So um, who is Jonah? So that's kind of the, the easy, very first question, right? Um, who is this, this Jonah guy? Um, there's lots of references in the Bible to Jonah, if you didn't know. And so here's a couple. So this first one is, I'll click in a minute. This is from 2 Kings. And Jeroboam II is the king at this time. And so we know real accurately when Jeroboam was Jeroboam II was king. So we can know exactly when this is happening. So here's some verses from 2 Kings um, 14.25. So he, Jeroboam II, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. And you're like, ah, oh, it's our guy. So obviously in the Old Testament, they thought he was a real guy. That's kind of cool, right? So it can't be just allegory, right? Um, and then the next one is from Jesus. And so I'm like, last time I checked, if Jesus says someone's legit, that person's legit. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> so if you've got your Bible, jump over to Matthew. Um, I'm sure most of you know this little passage, but... Over the years, I've bumped into heaps of people that didn't realize Jesus goes, nope, Jonah is a legit person. <laughs> um, and I love the way Jesus talks about I'll read these verses, but I love the way Jesus talks about it, because Jesus is like, he's just saying, Jonah was a real guy, and this really happened. There was a giant fish. There was three, it's like, duh. And it, yeah, I just love how clear Jesus is, if you know what I mean. So, um, so what am I doing reading 12? Um, I'll start in 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, which is Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something or someone greater than Jonah is here, which is... Jesus, right? So, so pretty clear. So I think as we go through the book, because we, we live in such a, an entertainment world, right? We're just watching movies and TV shows and stuff all the time. It's really easy if you don't hold on to your brain, for your brain to click into the whole, oh, it's just a cool story, right? Because a really guy being swallowed by a giant fish survives three days and the fish vomits him up on the beach. Really? Is that really? And it's like, yeah, really? Because Jesus literally 
So, okay. so that's where we're going. So a little bit of intro stuff. Um, one of the things, so I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, um, and I love nerding out on stuff. So this next point, shot lady at the back. So this next point, if you're not a bit of a Bible nerd, you might be like, oh my gosh, so just endure. But I just find this fascinating. So a lot of books, especially in the Old Testament, the authors, when they wrote them, they were really, really clever in the, the structure of their writing. And we lose a lot of it because it's translated into English. And so often if you read some of the translations that are, are closer to the Hebrew or even in the New Testament, closer to the Greek, you see a lot of this stuff coming out that you're like, man, these guys, when they wrote it, they were really smart, right? So Jonah's writing... Um, Jeroboam the second was 781 to, um, sorry, about 781 BC. Um, so we're going backwards down to about 750 BC. So that's kind of our time frame. So Jonah's writing somewhere in that kind of time. And what he writes is really, really clever, right? So I love this. And I'll, I'll pull a few of these bits out. So um, in Jonah chapter 1, you see all these really clever word plays. So if you've got your Bible, go back there so you can kind of see it. Um, because I just think this is cool, right? This is, I don't know, I think it's cool. So there's quite a lot of word plays the whole way through the book, but we're just looking at chapter one. So one of the big ones is great. Um, Jonah, when he's writing this, he uses the word great again and again and again. And again, it comes out more clearly in the Hebrew, but you still see it. So what are we, two, four, so in verse two, it says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Um, verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And then 16, 18, 19. So there's this great the whole way through, and then you see him do it different ones as he goes through the book. My favorite one is always the up and down one. So the up and down one is hilarious. Again, it doesn't come out so clearly in the, the English, but in the Hebrew, he uses the same word for up and the same word for down the whole way through. But when the translators translate it, they translate using slightly different words just because of our crazy English language. Um, so you see the, the, the up, so ups, two, three, six, so into arise, and that's this Hebrew word for, for up. And then in verse 4, um, it's actually a funny one because it's arise and go to Nineveh, and then you go to verse 4, um, and it says, but Jonah rose, so Jonah arose, same word, to flee to Tarshish, like the complete opposite direction. Carries on, carries on. I'm looking at some of your faces and seeing people going, so I'll just move on. I love this, right? Um, and then the downs, and there's the down, and he goes down to Tarsha, to Joppa, he goes down into the ship, and then later on he's down asleep, so... It's all cool. I just find it really interesting, right? Okay, moving on. So the next question when you're, we're doing an intro on, on Jonah is Nineveh. What do we know about Nineveh? And one of the big things, and the, the puppet Jonah <laughs> talked about this pretty clearly, um, Nineveh was just super evil, right? I even did a little emoji, so those of you who are emoji people can see like an evil emoji. Um, honestly, the stuff I read this week about Nineveh, I was just like, oh my gosh, in my list of evil people, Nineveh is easily number one. So there was some stuff I wanted to read to you, but it's so disgusting <laughs> that I was like, nah. <laughs> so I have three references talking about the city of Nineveh and the people of Nineveh. Um, two biblical and then one extra biblical that talk about Nineveh. But as I read them, they get progressively worse <laughs> and then realize that there's like many more that I could give you that are just disgusting. These people are just nasty, right? So if you remember verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Because they're, they're just an evil, evil people. They even have an emoji, right? So how evil are they? Pretty evil. So here's one from um, Zephaniah. This is not so bad, but it's bad. Um, this is the, so Zephaniah 2.5. This is the boisterous city, once so secure. I am the greatest at boasted. No other city can compare with me. And he carries on. And they're just so arrogant, right? So arrogant. 
Um, here's Nahum. So Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 and 4. And now you start seeing a bit more of their kind of real evilness. And um, what sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies. She is crammed with wealth and was nev- is never without victims. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all her magic, enchanting people everywhere. Um, and heaps of the research I did, a lot of the, um, the, the commentators talking about the ancient Near East, that's what this time is called, the ancient Near East, they just talk about the idolatry, the magic, the evil in Nineveh was just unmatched. And again and again when I was reading it, they're like, the worst city, the most evil city, the worst city, the most evil city. Other cities were idolatrous, Nineveh off the charts. Other cities had magic and, and stuff going on, Nineveh off the charts. Other cities were horrible to their enemies, Nineveh off the charts. Like some of the stuff they did to people when they um, captured them or conquered them was just like, oh my gosh. So I thought I won't read that. Um, so from a, an extra biblical, so from a source outside the Bible, um, here's one, and this, I don't think it's too gross, but you start getting a sense. So just realize as I read this, I'm not reading the real horrible stuff, right? So here's one. Um, so Ashimashafatha, I don't know how to say that guy's name, the second. So here's his times. So he's a little bit past um, before our time, but um, same thing, boasted. So he was um, the, the king of Nineveh at this time. He said, I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. <laughs> the heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into a pillar over against their city. Their young men and their maidens I burned in the fire. <laughs> it's like, this is what he's talking about. So, um, so that's the violence, but there's also all this idolatry and this magic and all this evil stuff going on. So long story to say, they're really evil people. Um, and I'm amazed that God gives them a chance, right? <laughs> If I was God, there'd be a lot more zapping in the Bible. <laughs> but I love how God sees that evil, and instead of just zapping them, <laughs> he sends, well, he tries to send, but Jonah's like, whoa, goes in the opposite direction. He, he sends Jonah to warn them, and, and like massive spoiler alerts, because I'm sure most of you read the book. And then when they repent, God doesn't destroy them, which is why Jonah's ticked. So Jonah's ticked for two reasons. So this is a massive spoiler alert, because we see this real clearly in chapter 4. The two reasons why Jonah doesn't want to go is, one, he hates the Ninevites. So they're massive. Their city's 120,000. They're invading everyone. It's just crazy. So Jonah would have had a lot of um, Jewish friends that were killed and the horrible things that I'm not talking about would have happened to people he knew. And so he would have hated the Ninevites. And for God to say to him, hey, go and offer them repentance, and I won't, he'd be like, no, I hate this. And the other reason that comes out really clearly in in chapter 4 is... um, he doesn't, want, he doesn't want to go and preach to these people, God's going to destroy you, in 40 days he'll destroy you, and then they repent and God doesn't do what he said was going to happen. So he looks like a really useless prophet. Does it make sense? And he, he says in chapter 4, and I didn't want to go because I knew you'd not destroy them. So he gets really angry. So. But we'll see that as we kind of get going. So that's just a bit of introductory stuff about, um, about Jonah. One of the most crazy things about the book of Jonah is um, there's only a couple of other, so this is in the, the prophetic literature in the Old Testament. Um, there's only a couple of other prophetic books that are about the, the person writing it. So most of the prophetic books in the Old Testament are all about God speaking to the people, right? So you read Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these other ones. It's always God speaking to the people through the prophet. 
But when you get to Jonah, there's none of that. It's all about Jonah. <laughs> and it's like a whole story about him, which is like really interesting, right? So all good. Okay, you're all good? Okay, shot team. All right, so let's just pull apart the, the book just a little, a little bit. Um, the, the main part in these first few verses is this call of Jonah, right? Um, there's this big call on Jonah, and he's a prophet, and so he should obey. Um, but as you know, he splits in the other direction. And so when I was going over this, I was like, ah, oh, I kind of wrestled with this a bit, but I decided to just kind of sit on this just for a moment. God is always calling to us, right? And I see the call of God in, in my life and in the lives of people I talk to, often big and, and small, right? So often the big call is the, the really big things that you're like, whoa, God, I need time to process this. This is huge. I mean, God's calling you to change your job. God's calling you to marry someone. God's calling you to move cities because he has something he wants you to do. God's calling you to finish your job and go to Bible college and become a missionary, whatever. You know what I mean? There's these really big calls that God puts on your life where you're like, woo. But at the same time, because God is always speaking to us, right? John 10, Jesus, my sheep, hear my voice. He's always talking to us. There's the big call. There's also this, to me, it's a real daily, really constant little call of God, right? And in my life, and again, hanging out with heaps of you guys, um, there's often these little calls of God. So it's not the huge one, just these little ones. Often where God's saying, hey, I need you to stay strong. You're going through a hard time. I need you to know I've got you. Just hold on. I've got you. And you just feel this call in your soul, right? I've got to stay strong in this. Sometimes there's little calls where God's saying, hey, I need you to step into this situation. I need you to step into this little ministry at church. I need you to go and talk to your neighbor. I need you to pray for this person. And you hear God, I don't hear God going, Craig, pray for your neighbor. I don't hear that. But I know in my gut, in my soul, God's saying, hey, it's just these little calls, right? Um, and sometimes you hear God saying, stop. <laughs> there's something I don't want you to do, right? And he, he calls to us. I find the big one is sometimes quite powerful, um, but I often find the little ones, because God is so gentle and loving with us, often those little calls, he's just gentle, real gentle, real quiet, really calm. And we, we hear it, and we process it, and then we have a decision. <laughs> do we do a Jonah and go, nah, and run in the other direction? Or do we submit and go, okay, God, I hear your call, this, this little one. Okay, I need to make this change. I need to, whatever it is. Um, so I've talked about this kind of call of, of Jesus in John 10 before, and this is a slightly different reference to it. So I just want to read this. I was reading this this week, talking about the way shepherds in the Old Testament in Jewish times call their sheep, right? And, and to me, it really fits with the gentleness and, the, and the, the care that God shows when he calls us on these things. Um, I, I say this really carefully. If you ever think God's yelling at you or telling you off or whatever, it's probably not God, right? Unless you're doing something really evil and you know you shouldn't be and you've been resisting him for ages. Then sometimes God goes, oi. But 99% of the time, God's voice that, that no, is just gentle and quiet because he loves you and he cares for you, right? So I love this kind of illustration. And again, I've talked about this before, but there's a slightly different flavor to it. Um, so this guy's reflecting on John 10, right? When Jesus calls to us, we hear his voice. So the good shepherd leads me. He does not drive me. There's a marked difference. In Egypt, where there is no open pasture land, I've often seen shepherds driving their sheep from behind with sticks. But in the open wilderness of the Holy Land of Israel, the shepherd walks slowly ahead of his sheep, 
and either plays his own 10-second tune on a pipe or, more often, sings his own unique call. Every time I read that, I'm like, shut up, that is really cool, right? Cool? All right, shot to Carrying on. The shepherd, um, sorry, the sheep appear to be attracted primarily by the voice of the shepherd, which they know and are eager to follow. This next bit's really cool. I love this next bit. It's common practice for a number of shepherds to gather at midday around a spring or well where the sheep mingle, drink, and rest. At any time, one of the shepherds can decide to leave. Oh, I was good. And on giving his call, his call, all his sheep will immediately separate themselves from the mixed flocks and follow their shepherd wherever he leads them. Oh, I just love that, eh? Um, it's not a yell. There's no sticks. <laughs> it's just this quiet call of the, of the shepherd because the sheep know his voice. I love that, eh? Um, I, I just pray that you know the voice of Jesus, right? You know the voice of God. It's, it's always gentle. But I do think he's always calling to us. <laughs> he's always, there's always something that needs improving in our lives, somewhere we need to step more into relationship with him. There's so often that, just stay strong. This is a hard time. I've got you. Stay strong in this. And then if you're like me, <laughs> you often hear God saying, stop doing that. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> God's call, right? God's call to Jonah is quite dif- different because this is his job, right? Jonah's job is a prophet. So a prophet is someone who represents God to the people, right? So real fast. So there's three main roles in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, king, which Jesus fulfills all of them really clearly in the Gospels, and the writers make a real strong point of showing how Jesus fills these. So the the role of prophet, the prophet takes the word of God to the people. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord has said, right? So the prophet, God to the people. The priest is the other way around. So the priest represents the people to God, right? The priest offers the sacrifices on their behalf. He represents the people to God. And in the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews, there's this, all this explanation about Jesus is our high priest. He's the one who represents us before God. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then the king is the one who rules over the people on behalf of God. So you see all those. So Jonah's job is prophet. It's like, you've got one job, bro. <laughs> Tell the people what God tells you. And what does Jonah do? Hears from God and he's like, kakite anoa, He goes the other way. Um, I don't know if you've ever realized how far he's going to go. And so because I love you all, I have a really cool map coming up that hopefully we can see because this is kind of hilarious. So just so we're, we're clear. So Nineveh is, hang on, I've got to get my, my, my um, distances right. So Nineveh is about 1,000, 933 kilometers. I checked it. Um, about 1,000 kilometers in one direction. And Tarshish is in the complete opposite direction. So here's my little map so you can see it. So you can see up here. Um, we're over here, Jerusalem, Gath Hepha. That's remember we read from Second Kings. That's where he is from. Um, so you can see Jerusalem, and you can see the mission is to Nineveh. So it's basically a thousand kilometers east, right? But instead, he boosts down to Joppa. See the big A, <laughs> and then he's off to Tarshish, which is um, nearly over 4,000 kilometers in the opposite direction, right? So I just find this hilarious because it's like. You've got one job, Jonah. When God says, 
say, thus saith the Lord. You say, thus saith the Lord. But instead, Jonah doesn't just like hide. He doesn't, I can't hear God. Sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Or turn up the radio, you know. He's like, quick, I'm on a ship in the opposite direction. So instead of going 1,000 kilometers that way, he basically goes 4,000 or aims to go 4,000 kilometers in the other direction. So 5,000 kilometers. Oh, every time I look at this, it just kills me. Um, so one of the crazy things is, at this time, the Phoenician traders are the main um, people sailing and trading and stuff, the Phoenicians, right? And they were just amazing ship people, sailors. I don't know what the word is. Um, and they had only explored that far to the, to the south of Spain. That was the extent of how far they've gone. So Jonah literally goes... What is the furthest I can possibly go? That's where I'm heading. And he gets on the boat and then God intervenes. I found that. It's interesting, eh? Interesting how far he goes. I just love it, right? Crazy man. Um, <laughs> 5,000 kilometers in the opposite direction. Oh, pretty funny. Um, I don't know, just that cool thing. So funny story. Um, so I told you this before, so I, when Jason and I moved into Ham East, the East Village, I keep trying that, no one's like buying into East Village, it sounds really cool, but everyone's like, nah, it's Ham East, and I'm like, no, okay, fine. Um, when we moved in, I was like, all right, you know, I want to be that cool Christian guy, and get to know the neighbours, and all this, and tell them about Jesus, and we'd only been in there a short time, and I went over to one of our neighbours that I kind of met a little bit, it's really hard to meet your neighbours now, because we all come home, and we run into a house and shut our door, it's not like in the olden days where people sat out the front and you hung out. It's real weird, so it's kind of driving me crazy. But anyway, so I went to this, this old lady just to say good day, and I'm like praying as I go over, because I just really felt this call of God, right? Go and meet this lady. So long story short, she's a Christian, and I was like, really? And she goes to a Baptist church, and I was like, what a waste of time that is. So, and she's cool. I've chatted to her a bunch, but I was like, darn it, how can I share the love of Jesus with people that already know? What a waste of time. So the other day, Joseph and I were going for a walk, and it was raining, as it is like every day at the moment, good one, and we were coming back from our walk with our dog, and across uh, the road and down a couple of houses, there was a lady out the front mowing her lawns with one of those weird push mowers, you know the ones that's not a, it's the thing, you know the one, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's mowing that, and it did not look like she was having a good time, and I've seen her do that a few times, and God's been saying, seriously, bro you got a good mower. Go and mow your lawns. And I was like, oh, yeah. So super awkward. So I ran across the road praying, okay, Jesus, here we go. I'm going to mow your lawns and tell her about Jesus. I, you know, not straight away, but over time. Not like, I want to mow your lawns. And by the way, you're going to whatever. So I ran over. I was real nervous. And, all, and I said to her, hey, live across the road. Oh, yeah, I've seen you guys with the dog. You know, so cool. How are you doing? And we chatted away. And then I said, hey, i got a really good lawnmower. It doesn't look like you're having a good time. If you're doing it for exercise, all good. Would you like me to mow your lawns? And she goes, oh, that would be so cool. Thank you so much. I hate doing this. I get blisters every time. Look at my blisters. And she had all these blisters. And I was like, oh, this is so horrible. I said, oh, man, I would love to mow your lawns. And inside I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, here we go, you know. And then she goes, oh, what do you do for a job? And this is where it gets dumb. I said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church over in Franklin. She goes, which one? Which non-church people never ask, right? And I thought, oh, really? And she goes, and I said, oh, Agora over in Franklin. Oh, I know Agora well. I'm the church administrator at a church in Claudelands. And I was like, what a waste of time again, man. I'm like surrounded by Christians. Um, sorry, long story to say, there's a lot of times in my life where I do a Jonah. I really do, right? And, and you're the same, right? There's times in our life when we hear that call of God and we're just like, I don't want to do that. 
I'm not running 5,000 kilometers in the opposite direction, but we resist. Um, but man, it feels amazing when you obey God. <laughs> like running across the road, was, I was just like, Woo! <laughs> because my soul is filled with God. <laughs> he indwells me. And when I obey him, something just changes within me. When I resist him, ooh, storms, giant fish, you know. <laughs> so, so just be thinking, eh? God's always calling to us. What's a call that God might be putting in your life that maybe you've been resisting? Maybe it's that real big one I was talking about. Maybe it's that little one. What's a call that God's saying to you? You're hearing his voice. You know he's saying something. Um, hey, don't resist, man. There's some big fish out there. <laughs> Massive eels in the Waikato River. Um, but when we submit, and sometimes it takes a while, when we finally submit, oh, man, feels great, right? Okay, one more nerd thing in this book. Now, Jonah chapter 1 is famous for the structure in it. So again, if you're not a nerd, you'll be like, yawn. And I won't read the whole thing, otherwise there will be complaints to Al. So, but again, I just find this fascinating, right? So the, the, the structure of the way Jonah wrote chapter one, and he does it again in, in each of the chapters in a whole different way, is just fascinating. So just really briefly, I love this. So look at this. Um, so first of all, the, this is a break. You can see it kind of goes down and then comes back out again, and it just keeps reflecting. And so narrative and fear motive. And then you go down to the bottom to verse 15 and 16. Narrative and fear motive. Two, the sailor's prayer. Two, the sailor's prayer. Narrative, narrative. Jonah's prayer. It just, and it just mirrors it. And I'm like, that is a nice, this sounds really dumb. I'm like, man, this guy's like almost 3,000 years ago and they were smart enough to write that then. You know what I mean? Like people got smarter now and I could imagine someone doing it now. It's like, it's just fascinating. Hey, Now, one of my weird questions was why? Why did he take so much time to do this, because at the end of the day, who really cares? Seriously? Like, who cares that he just took so much time and effort to, to break this down so beautifully? Eh? And my answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. It's fascinating, though, so I thought I'd chuck it up. All right, let's move on. Oh, I have to tell you a thing. Sorry, I wasn't going to say this, but this is kind of interesting. So my, my dad came out from England when he was 15, and... Um, he was kind of becoming a Christian, but his parents were totally not Christians. And my grandfather, um, Papa Barrow, he started reading the Bible because he loved poetry. And so he started reading the Old Testament in the King James English. And the King James is a disastrous translation. There's so many mistakes, it's just shocking. But one of the things the King James did really well is they reflected this really well. They worked really hard in the Old Testament to reflect that rhythm and that rhyme that, is, that these guys wrote in the Hebrew. And the crazy thing is my grandfather just loved reading Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah because of this, the beautiful way they wrote. And that led him to Christ, which just blows me away. So when I look at this, I actually get a little emotional because I'm like, maybe one of the reasons is that there's heaps of nerds out there that see this and it draws them into the Bible. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm like, who gets saved from reading like Isaiah? It's like my grandfather did. What the heck? Random. All right. Last bit. Um, so I'm not going to read all these verses, but this is just real interesting. A couple of real interesting dichotomies that always jump out at me when I read um, the second part of, uh, the second half or whatever of, of chapter one. Um, so the first dichotomy is a little bit of like, um, I don't know, hypocrisy. There's a lot of hypocrisy in, in Jonah's life. So we've read verse one. Let's read verse nine and 10. I mean, we've read verse three. So verse three is... 
Um, but Jonah, and he just boosts in the opposite direction. And then um, verses 9 and 10. Uh, where are we? 9. Uh, so they come to him with these five questions in verse 8. It's really funny. These five, they're just like, boom, 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 boom. And then in verse 9, he says, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Really? The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly or greatly, is the Hebrew, right? Um, afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Because he told them, and you see this total hypocrisy in Jonah's life. It's like, on one hand, he's saying, I fear the Lord. I worship the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. But on the other hand, you're like, really? Because you've just told us that you're totally disobeying him and running in the opposite direction. right? You see that, eh? You with me? Yeah. So this just made me go down a very small rabbit trail, and I'll only talk about this briefly. It made me stop and think this week in my own life, man, if someone was watching me, how many times would they see what I believe and what I do not matching, right? How many times do I say I believe stuff about God and yada, 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 but then if they saw my life, they'd be like, really, bro? Really? Um, Yeah. I'll say this really carefully. There's some massive stuff always going on in people's lives, right? And at the moment, there's some just off-the-chart stuff happening in people's lives. And one of the hard things you do as a pastor is to catch up with people, um, like some of the people I've visited this week, just crazy stuff going on. And it's, it's, it's hard to sit with someone who's really sick, and I mean shut up sick, like real sick, and go, God's got you in this, when they're really, really sick. <laughs> and I have to work really hard to go, this is what I believe. It's going to come out in what I say when I visit that person. Does it make sense? I, it's just real, yeah, I don't know. I think as, as Christians, we get so used to that, yeah, God's got you, yeah, God's sovereign, yeah, God's over everything, yeah, he's got you. When everything's hitting the fan, and I mean, it's really hitting the fan. Can we still say that? And if not, we need to reevaluate. What do we actually believe? We say this, we spit out all the cool statements and sayings. But when it's hitting the fan, or when a good friend of ours has got everything really hitting the fan, do we still go, yeah, God's in this? Like, you know, or do we go, oh my gosh, what? It's heavy, eh? And Jonah doesn't. That's the f- Again, he's hilarious. I fear the Lord who may. And they're like, really, bro? You just told us you're going 5,000. What the? It's <laughs> crazy. Oh, I love it, eh? Um, the other dichotomy, I don't know, is, is... Sorry? What's a dichotomy, anyone? Dichotomy? Dichotomy? It just means something that's the complete opposite. Yeah, like opposites. So you're saying one thing, totally different, it's a dichotomy. It's kind of confusing. I thought this, and now being this. Oh, here we go. The official Google. Wait, wait. Cool. So like a contradiction, easy way to say it. It's meant to be the same, it's a contradiction. Shot, sorry. I'm just so smart, I assume you're all at my level of intelligence and I forget some of you, no, I'm joking, I'm joking, yeah. So the other dichotomy is really wild. So um, again, I always find this one kind of funny. Um, in verse 3, Jonah runs in the opposite direction. And then um, down in verse 16, you can see it on there, we now have the sailors worshipping God. And you're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. If anyone should be worshipping God in this story, it should be Jonah, the prophet. 
but instead he's totally disobeying, he's running in the opposite direction, they're all freaking out and worshipping their gods, small g, big S, they, they would have had many gods, um, they're worshipping their gods, they're offering sacrifices, they're doing all this stuff, and where's Jonah? Oh, he's asleep. It's like interesting parallel to Jesus, but that's another whole story, we don't have time to get down. Um, and, and I just find this really funny, so look at verse, so verse 3, he, he says he, you know, um, believes in God, but he runs in the opposite direction. Then verse 16 is real interesting. Then the men, so the sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly. That's another great word, by the way. Um, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And again, you've got this crazy dichotomy or this contradiction, right? Where you've got Jonah, who should be the one worshiping God and making vows and sacrificing, but he's not. He's running away from God. And you have the sailors, who the last people who should be worshiping and following God is the sailors, but yet they're now worshiping God. Now, just to clarify, they're not on the boat, someone starts, just as I am, on an organ, and they all walk forward to receive the Lord. That's not it at all, right? They're very, very pluralistic in their worship. So they would have just seen God's power. Because, again, this is a crazy... There's a lot of similarities between Jonah and Jesus, right? So there's a storm, and it really, the way you read it is they throw him over, which they didn't want to do. The storm stops. And that's why they're, like, exceedingly afraid or greatly afraid, because they're like, what just happened? One minute the ship's about to break apart. We do what this man of God did. And so that leads them to add God. So they would have just added Yahweh to their plethora of gods, right? But still a contradiction. So I always find this funny because it's like Jonah is actually an amazing evangelist in his disobedience for God. Do you see that? <laughs> like he's trying to run away from God and God's like, I will still use you to save people and bring them to me. I'm like, go God. It's so cool. All right, let me pray. Eh? Let's all stand up. Um, just as you're standing, that last thing, right? Um, how are you doing hearing that call of God, right? God's always calling to us in different ways, always. Um, sometimes it's to stay strong. Everything's hitting the fan, but you know in your gut that God has you. You, you just know that, and he's calling to you saying, hold on, this, this is illogical, this is terrifying, I have you, right? And you're like, okay, I just have to take that and hold on to it. Sometimes God's saying it's time to, to leave something, it's time to move to something new. I've got a new area I want you to step into. And it's scary. You're like, Whoa, God, if you feel that call, you've got to obey. Don't do a Jonah and run. Um, but sometimes God's just saying, stop. <laughs> sometimes that little call is like, that thing you're doing, you know you shouldn't be doing it. You know it's not drawing you closer to God. You need to stop. So how are you doing listening to God on that day? <sighs> Let me pray for us. Yeah, kia ora God, thanks for this crazy, crazy story. Jonah, he's pretty hilarious in a sense. Like, how is he asleep when the boat's basically about to be torn apart? It's just wild. Does he still have that deep trust that you've got him in there? I, I don't know, it's just weird. Um, but, yeah. Um, I don't know. Thank you that you, you do speak to us all the time. As Jesus says, oh, like, I don't know, what is it, five or six times in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. You hear my voice. We, we do hear you, God. And sometimes we're really good at obeying. Sometimes we're really good at doing a Jonah and running in the opposite direction. But we know the joy. We know that, that deep, soul-transforming joy when we do submit, when we hear your call and we're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we want to hear that more, God. We really do as we grow in our relationship with you, as we grow to, to, to know the voice of our shepherd more and more, more and more clearly, we want to um, 
experience the joy of obeying you more and more and, and not feeling that that deep ah, when we're disobeying you or trying to quieten your voice or literally just running in the opposite direction. Hey, we want to feel that joy, hear that joy of obeying you. Thanks that you're so patient with us. That just blows me away, God, honestly. I'd, I'm expecting a lot more storms and giant fish in, um, <laughs> in my life. But you're not. You're so patient and gentle and kind. Yeah. Yeah, speak to us loudly, God. Some of us are real rubbish at hearing you. We need you to keep speaking, so speak loudly to us. Yeah, pray this in the name of Jesus.